The Big Fight Weekend Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows is presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds in every major sport, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today and get a $500 risk-free sports bet by downloading the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com to start winning today. That's W-Y-N-N-Bet.com to get a $500 risk-free bet from us at Sports Gambling Podcast Network. We're also brought to you in part by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use the promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com, promo code SGP. We're also brought to you in part by PicksWise. PicksWise is the number one home of free sports betting picks. Visit PicksWise.com to make your next bet better. We're also brought to you in part by Odds Crowd. Are you the best football better in the United States? Odds Crowd challenges you to prove it with their free-to-play fantasy betting contest. Over $30,000 up for grabs over the season. Go to OddsCrowd.com to sign up. And we're also brought to you in part by the SGPN app. Just enter SGPN in the App Store or the Google Play Store to download it today. The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Indeed, we are off and rolling in a brand new month. The month of September is here. Great to be back with you all aboard here for the sweet science and everything that we do on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. I am merely the somewhat capable, somewhat rested host. He is the senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com. Marquise Johns back on board. He would like to say uh, to the audience here that we tried to tell you about Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley. Don't come crying to us. Week Sauce Radio, how you feeling? Pretty good, TJ. Just really disappointed that Jake Paul didn't lose, and that that con still continues. <laughs> the con is the right word. The con goes on. And uh, coming up in a moment, a, uh, a media member, a colleague of ours who was there in Cleveland and will report from on scene for Paul Woodley in the entire fight card last Sunday night on the Showtime pay-per-view. Carlos Toro back with us here on the program in just a few moments. First, a reminder, however you found this show through the Sports Gambling Podcast, uh, the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows, whether it's the website, sportsgamblingpodcast.com, or a social media link, make sure you are subscribed. Podcasts will come automatically to you through all the big platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, name them all. We're there. Just search us under Big Fight Weekend. Again, I should say follow us on Apple Podcast and Spotify because we're clarifying again here that you do not have to pay ever to get this podcast. Uh, so that means follow don't have to subscribe on those two outlets. Find us anywhere. We appreciate it. We're glad that you did. So plenty to discuss, including the big fight card, matchroom boxing fight card in England that we'll get to. That includes Marquise's input and our guest Carlos Toro's input. Some news of the week. Uh, when is a positive drug test not really relevant and important? Apparently, if it is a top-ranked show in Arizona involving a world title fight, although that story is kind of evolving, uh, involving uh, Oscar Valdez and his WBC title defense of his 130-pound title. Is it going to happen or not a week from Friday night as we release this podcast on Labor Day weekend? Will that fight happen or not? It remains to be seen. What we do need to do is welcome in from uh, Carlos Toro Media and other outlets as well. Again, he was there for Jake Paul's victory over Tyron Woodley, a split decision. Marquis, stop snickering. A split decision win for Jake Paul over uh, former UFC champion Tyron Woodley. Carlos Toro back with us on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Thank you. We appreciate you hanging with us. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And, uh, you know, Marquise is right to hang his head. It should be a unanimous decision win for Jake Paul, not a split decision. Oh, man. You were there. Uh, again, we've knocked this thing six different ways before it happened. 
you get to be the freshest with your comments because you were on scene at the now newly renamed, let me get it right, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Am I correct, Carlos? Check. Yes. We got the sponsor product placement correct. What yes, was and, the and the house, and even though Fieldhouse is one word, the house part is capitalized. The H is capitalized. Oh, all right. So, reason. yes, if we're typing that out, we got to get that right. The former Quicken <laughs> Loans Arena. I don't know what it was in the in the former incarnation. This is the home of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And as I like to say, there were more butts in seats last Sunday night than have been for any Cavaliers game, including with all the COVID restrictions for the last few years. So they did have a big crowd. But that's me saying that. Carlos, you were there. First of all, what was the atmosphere like? Uh, how loud you were there on scene? What about it? You can at least – I don't know how it looked on, how it sounded on TV. We'll find that out this weekend. But in person – you can tell this was not a regular boxing crowd because the the atmosphere and the energy from even before the pay-per-view started, when we had the one uh, pre-pay-per-view fight with Charles Conwell, the energy was at a main event level in terms of noise and excitement. It was, without a doubt, one of the best crowds I've ever been to as far as boxing is concerned. And I know that might ruffle uh, some feathers, but it was one of those you have to be there because – even for the undercard fights, you I, I have never heard such excitement over some of these boxers, which the majority of the people in attendance had never seen in, in their lives. Tommy Fury got a massive pop when he was just walking to the ring. Ivan Baranchik was, I mean, if you were looking at it for like pro wrestling lens, Ivan Baranchik was the biggest heel in the history of <laughs> Only because Jimmy Lennon Jr. introduced him as from Russia and the crowd just suddenly turned the Montana Love, Ivan Baranchik fight as if it was Hulk Hogan against Nikolai Volkov in an, oh. some random Saturday <laughs> night's main event in the 1980s. Very nice. Very I mean, nice. But, the, but that was how good the crowd was. And I mean, the main event, like, let's be honest, the, the main event fight was not that good. And the crowd, when it got bad, they made sure they knew about it. But when even just anything remotely good landed on just about anyone, the crowd just exploded. And and what do you attribute that to? Because as you mentioned, kind of a different crowd. I mean, was this pent up because we haven't had big crowds at a lot of things, including in, in Cleveland? Was that some of it? The good action earlier, Daniel Dubois, the British heavyweight, came in and scored a first-round knockout, bombed out uh, his opponent in under two minutes. Did that rev the crowd up? What do you attribute it to, what you're describing? It's hard to say because this wasn't a – I would not say it's a – well, the crowd – it's been so long since big-time boxing has been back. It's because, you know, Cleveland has had plenty of sporting events before Sunday. So I think it's a combination of, you know, if – I would not be surprised if a lot of these people that watched the car, that attended the car, were UFC fans. And for some that have seen UFC cards – in the past, they know that the that the that those people get very excited even for the undercard because they believe that you know it's sometimes with these shows it's not just the main event even though that's the biggest thing that's attracting these people in. I think at the same time they understood hey there's a couple of hometown guys and there's a there's a couple of guys who could be in line to fight Jake Paul so maybe so I think the energy and I think the anticipation of the entire card, when you really look at it and see it from the eyes of a Jake Paul fan or someone who's never seen boxing before, just from the area, I think that there is, it is a combination of a lot of different things. And at the same time, it's hard to really pin it down to any one thing because again, this was not a normal boxing crowd. This wasn't, and I've covered events at the, at the garden at Barclays center at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, it's it was different. It was not the your typical boxing crowd. Why we have yeah, the man was, here? Go ahead, Marquise. Yeah, that's what I want to recognize and ask you about that as well, Carlos. Because most, as you know, Carlos, especially with like professional boxing undercards that aren't named Jake Paul, nobody's there, guys. Like no one shows up till about you know five minutes for opening bell for the, for the main event for these fights. You know, insert big name here. And, but the one thing I, always, I thought was really interesting, and the only takeaway I gotten from this fight card, uh, Carlos, I want to put put your get your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's the fact that there was more people there to see Jake Paul possibly lose to this MMA guy, or the fact that you guys in Cleveland just haven't been able to get out of the house so long to see the actual boxing event? 
I think it's a combination of both. I think it's also the demographic. I mean, it, when the demographic of the, I, I was there. There were a lot of like younger adults and, you know, there was a lot of drinking going on. I, w- I, I didn't drink. I didn't drink at all there. I, was, <laughs> I don't drink on the clock, but there were a lot of people that when you look at him, they're not going to suddenly go silent and not care. I mean, they were there to watch, not just the minimum, they were there to watch fights and, for most of the five fights before the main event, they all delivered on something that really got the crowd amped up. Charles Conwell, very good and dominant quick knockout. Tommy Fury, uh, you know, a lot of people were, were excited, apparently, which that was the biggest uh, big yeah, surprise. That's a, that's a shock to me, too. Daniel Dubois, <laughs> first round knockout. Montana Love, hometown kid, del- delivering on one of the best performances I've seen of the year, in my opinion, one of the best fights of the year. So I think it was also the fighters just really doing something really exciting for the crowd. That's good to hear, Carlos. Actually, I don't want to ask you about this as well. The co-main event of this fight had Amanda Serrano on it, and she was victorious as well. As well. Uh, pretty much, uh, we've been talking on the, uh, the podcast here, and TJ can mention this as well, how she had to make a statement because it's Katie Taylor fight weekend on her uh, go around this weekend with Matchroom. Uh, do you think she made that statement this past weekend? It's it's tough to say because one, I, I, first of all, I thought the fight was good. And I think Amanda Serrano looked very, very impressive. Mm-hmm. And I think at the same time, I think some of us, not necessarily none of us three, but some people maybe were under the impression that we were going to perhaps get a knockout, especially off the heels of Serrano's last performance. And especially with the pre-fight buildup of this being, you know, one of your, your typical Puerto Rico versus Mexico war and that Yemen left Mercado, you know, so even Serrano said it, told me after the press conference, she was actually disappointed that she wasn't as aggressive as she thought it was going to be. So I think Serrano in some ways made a statement that she is one of the best boxers in the world. But as far as delivering that big knockout that we were all hoping to see, it just didn't quite get there. So I would say kind of like mission half accomplished. Good way to put it. Carlos Toro hanging with us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. You're also hearing from Marquise John, senior writer for our site, bigfightweekend.com. One thing, and this is not a knock. We cover women's boxing. We talk about it on the podcast. We write about it. There aren't a lot of knockouts, even at the championship level in women's boxing. So it's out of the ordinary to see a knockout. Stoppages sometimes, yes. And maybe you could have stopped the fight because Mercado was clearly behind, uh, swelling under the left eye, I believe it was. That fight could have been stopped. It wasn't stopped. So uh, we'll see uh, on that point. All right, let's get back to Jake Paul Tyron Woodley. Take me back to last Sunday night where Woodley, 39 years old, uh, obviously smaller, shorter, smaller, not a boxer. Jake Paul only been boxing for a short time, but Tyron Woodley actually caught Kim Carlos in the fourth round with a right hand. What was your reaction at that point? And then how surprised were you that that didn't develop into anything for Woodley in the rest of that round of the rest of the fight? My initial reaction when that moment happened, all I could think about was if Tyron presses, he, we might actually get something big. And then immediately my mind went to seeing how the fight actually just continued from then onwards because I thought there was going to be a knockdown call because Jake got held up by the ropes big time. He was on his way to maybe tumbling towards the second row if the ropes hadn't held him up. And you know, to an extent, I wasn't surprised that Tyrone Woodley didn't press further. And I kind of go back to my whole reasoning as to why I had picked Jake Paul to win. Tyrone Woodley is not a boxer. And even if he was, you know, listen, he was a good striker in MMA, but that doesn't mean anything when you're going straight to boxing. You can train under Mayweather for however many months, you know, however long he was with Mayweather. It probably was a short time, but the transition from MMA uh, from bo- yeah from MMA to boxing on the striking uh, on the striking perspective is so different because there's a lot different angles that you kind of have to consider in the stances. Go back to that first round, that first that first minute or two. Tyrone Woodley's stance it was ugly. It was just 
bad, like bad with a capital B. And, you know, overall, look, say what you want about Jake Paul, but he's been training at this for a lot longer. And he has been, you know, he has been, he looks like he's taking it seriously. To a certain extent, he's been training with a lot of pros, including Amanda Serrano with this latest, you know, with this latest fight. So Jake was better prepared. He was more adept as a boxer than Tyron Woodley was at the moment. And, you know, I, I was not surprised that Tyron Woodley caught Jake with a really good right hand. But I'm also not surprised that Woodley didn't follow up because I he still doesn't have that boxing instinct uh, that comes with experience. Love the insight. And again, uh, Carlos was there in the arena. Marquise, I'll go to you first. And the same question for both of you. Is this just a case for what Carlos was saying? A better fighter would have pressed the issue and maybe ended things in that fourth round. Who knows for sure? But we we, we are confirmed to know Tyron Woodley didn't do anything after landing that right hand to press the issue. Didn't even aggressively come in like Carlos was describing. What do you have to say, Marquise, on a better fighter maybe finishes Jake Paul and quickly in that fourth round? Guys, any any fighter who can cut the ring off finishes this fight off. That was the one thing that Tyron Willie was not doing at all whatsoever. I don't know who cut the ring off worse uh in the ring, guys. Uh, Tyrone Woodley or Cashinero against Rigandow, because it was just as brutal in terms of uh, footwork and guys following each other guys around an interpretive dance in this boxing ring for these fights. And I, I think TJ, at the end of the day, it would have been a better fighter had someone been able to do it. But the one thing that was keeping Jake Paul afloat and actually upright for the majority of the fight, except that fourth round, was the fact that his right jab pretty much was landing at will and almost at nauseam in this fight against Woodley. And that was the one thing that Willie just had no answer for. He would come in and get greeted with a jab and then you'd fall over. That was kind of the process for about four rounds of this fight. So I, I really think at the end of the day, a better boxer probably could have done something with him to stop the show, but it wasn't going to be Woodley. <laughs> Carlos, what is your opinion on that? A better fighter takes him out? Yeah, no question about it. And in fact, I would argue that a better fighter would have probably landed that right hand sooner than the fourth round because hmm. even though Jake clearly won the fight, I still don't understand how that one judge had it for retiring Woodley. It completely baffles me, but... Boxing judges, Carlos. <laughs> Boxing judges, my friend. And Keep I must going. piggyback off that, guys. That that judge that gave it 77 75 to uh, uh, Tywin Willie was named Phil Rogers. Phil Rogers also is a writer, uh, not the judge, of course, but is a writer for the UK edition of Boxing Edition uh, Weekly out in the UK. He's been taking full blame and taking full credit for it as well. It's been amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's gotten a good social media bump out of being the Phil yeah. Rogers that boxing fans know. Not the judge. And that judge, by the way, not only gave Woodley the fourth round, he gave Woodley five straight rounds, four through eight, <laughs> to give him the card. Again, Made no sense boxing whatsoever. judges, Carlos, continue. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but yeah, my, a better fighter would have even hurt Jake Paul early because, look, even though Jake Paul should have won, uh, easily won the fight in my book, it's not like he was definitively better. Like, obje like an objectively good boxer. Well, let's be honest. Both of these guys are not good. It's just that Tyron Woodley was much, much worse. Tyron Woodley complaining that he should have gotten the decision. The level of activity that he had, especially before the fourth round, was borderline just non-existent. Like, you're not going right. to win an eight-round fight where you're not throwing anything for the first three, and your only good round was a good right-hand landed in the fourth. Aside from that, really has no argument as far as winning the fight. So, but better, but yeah, a better fighter would have not only stopped uh, Jake Paul, probably would have stopped him much, much sooner. All right, I promise we're moving on to a couple more subjects, but I'm going to tee this one up for Carlos here. Marquise, feel free to jump in here again in a second after Carlos goes. Mm -hmm. uh, we we have the belief this is all but run its course here, that until Jake Paul gets in there with a legit fighter, the boxing public is going to reject this. His fans are going to be bored by it. He's got to have a better fighter or the con. The con is basically up on being a pay-per-view guy, getting a lot of money, if it is a lot of money, and that's still up for debate. Do you agree with that, Carlos Toro, that basically here for Jake Paul, it's time to fight a real fighter and demonstrate what you can do against a real fighter, or you're living on borrowed time here fighting non-boxers? I think, one, I, I agree that Jake Paul should be fighting someone like Tommy Fury, who, even though he's, he's an unbeaten prospect, he's been feuding with Jake Paul for quite some time, is judging based on that crowd reaction Tommy got, they're ready 
for Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. And, but here's the thing. I think that if you look at it from Jake Paul's perspective and really from a business perspective, really, I think you can actually maybe squeeze in one more of these types of fights against a non-boxer, but a legitimate athlete from another sport. It's kind of that, that natural progression. He fought a first fight was against another non-boxer second fight, an actual athlete, third fight, a former MMA fighter who may not be good at striking. And I'm saying this in the nicest way possible, Mr. Ben Askren. And in this most recent one, a former UFC champion. So maybe that next logical step is someone like a Tommy Fury, who let's be honest, isn't that great either. He's still very much green. I think he's six, seven fights into his pro career. He only had 10 amateur fights. So experience wise, not like Tommy has that much more than Jake Paul's, but you mentioned legitimate fighter. There are going to be people who don't even consider Tommy Fury a legitimate fighter at, at this point. So I think that's also a little bit up to debate. Well, but, but he's clearly more legitimate than what Jake Paul's fighting. More legitimate yes, versus yes, you're right. actually legitimate. Those are two different things. I got yeah, you. Yeah. Marquise, quick comment on that because then we want to move on to the Oscar Valdez stuff and other stuff before we let Carlos scoot along. Uh, uh, we're in agreement, aren't, aren't we, that last Sunday night may have been almost the end of fighting non-boxers and getting pay-per-views. At this point, TJ and Carlos, he's got to fight an actual live body that's going to at least be able to throw back. The four names you mentioned, uh, Carlos, that he's, that he's fought so far, a basketball guy, a couple of UFC guys, these guys aren't throwing back at him. He got at least Tommy Fury, and, I, and I, I am in that camp where I don't think Tommy Fury is that good either, but at least he'll be, at least be able to have the, the ability in the footwork to at least throw a punch back. This guy's been, the only punch that hit Jake Paul was the one in that 4-4. Four, four, they're going to keep stringing this along, TJ, for as much money as they can before that gravy train runs out of mashed potatoes. Well, we'll see how much longer that goes. All right, next item, again, here is the Big Fight Weekend podcast rolls on. At the time that we are taping and releasing on Friday for the weekend, where we're typically here, uh, the, the drug controversy, and that's the right way to put it, involving WBC junior lightweight champion uh, Oscar Valdez continues. Valdez having tested positive for a weight loss stimulant uh something that is significant enough that it's on the banned list of every doping agency that's out there uh, in terms of world organizations the uh the uh, fight that he's supposed to have next friday night as we release this weekend he's the main event uh for an espn top rank espn plus top rank show in arizona for now, and this may change as the podcast has been released, for now the fight is apparently still on despite the positive drug tests. Carlos Toro, help us out here, please. Listen, I'm in some ways shocked and in some other ways not shocked, but, you know, I've made this point before on Twitter, and I'll make it, and I'll say this again. I mean, Oscar Valdez tested positive on a VADA drug test for a VADA, bond, a VADA banned substance. And one of the arguments from Valdez's team is that it's an out-of-competition drug under WADA, which is a separate uh, agent, um, drug, uh, anti-drug comp- uh, body. And VADA doesn't have that distinction between what's in competition, what's out of competition. It's banned, it's banned. Doesn't matter what point, uh, what time of the year, if it's before or after a fight, it's banned. And I think we're now starting to come to a point where we have, there has to be some sort of uniformity between the different commissions into what to adopt and what not to adopt, because there's been a lot of inconsistencies because the Pascua Yaki Tribe Athletic Commissions does follow water protocols, but at the end of the day, Vada was involved in this. So it kind of so the fact that this fight is moving forward, it just kind of kind of makes the Vada testing kind of irrelevant because if you're testing positive for, uh, on Vada tests, but the fight's still going forward, then what are we having these tests for? Amen. All right, just so we clarify, the world anti-doping. Uh, association, I think, or administration. administration that is a world world organization. It is also utilized for Olympics and for a lot of different sports. The Voluntary Anti-Doping Administration is a different mechanism, and I believe that's an American mechanism, and the boxing and combat sports use that. 
So this was a Vada with a V like victory test. And to the point that Carlos was making, the boxing and combat sports utilize this in the ramp up to a fight that's signed as random testing leading up to the fight besides like a pre-fight test the week of the fight. So the fighters agree to the Vada testing, et cetera. So again, it can get complicated in the nuances and Carlos's point is well taken that this is banned on almost every drug organization's list as a stimulant. And it doesn't matter that WADA, the world organization says, well, if you're not in competition, you can take it. There's a lot of things you can take if you're not in competition. And Marquise, just follow up here, because again, this is a big deal. Valdez is undefeated. He's a marquee type fighter. To Carlos's point, why have drug testing and VADA testing if somebody's going to get popped for a stimulant that can clearly help you and you're going to let the fight go on? What say you, Marquise Johns? TJ, that's exactly the point. And you know what's worse about this, guys, is the fact that he got caught with it and the backpedaling and the excuses for it is making this um, um, pretty much the bigger mountain out of, of the whole thing. Because uh, there was an article, I think, written where uh, uh, they said it was like, I think he was he was using it as like in his herbal tea. I yes. mean, yeah, come on, guys. We're, we're, we're doing that now. We're doing the tainted meat excuse again. What what year is this? Stop it. So and, and what and what point is it? And what point is it, TJ and Carlos? And what good does it do you as an athlete or a person? And if you're in the voluntary drug testing program and you still get popped, it's voluntary. If you're voluntary, don't take the drug test if you know you have something okay, in and it. it. And the audience may know this answer. Again, as we release the podcast and we head into the weekend, this may happen. Doesn't the WBC, do not laugh, do not snicker, Carlos Toro and Marquise Johns, don't they have to have some credibility left here and step in and say, we're stripping Oscar Valdez. Top rank, you can still have your main event if you want to have it. Uh, the, the Indian tribe in Arizona, you can stage it. He's not the WBC champ. And a perfect example is the late 2018 uh, failed drug test by David Benavides, double WBC super middleweight champ, 168 pounds, tested positive for cocaine on a VADA test, by the way, uh, where they were drug screening for him. And they stripped him of the title is the point back three years ago. So, I mean, doesn't the WBC have an obligation? Is that the right word, Carlos Toro, right now? What do you say on on, you got to strip him? There is. They do have an obligation. The way I would kind of do this is I would strip Valdez of the title, but I would make the title still on the line or only for Robson comes in south. If he can make weight, if he wins it, he's the champion. But if not, then you hold it up as a move Oscar Valdez to champion Arisa, which is what they did with David Benavides, have the top two contenders, which are Miguel Burchelt and Oshaki Foster, and Ludovell has been calling for that fight, have those two fight or for that fight for the vacant title. And the winner, you know, fights Valdez when Valdez's suspension or whatever is up and it gets reinstated. I think that's, I think to me, that's the way to do it. It strips Valdez of the title, but it doesn't punish his opponent because of what Valdez did. I gotta admit, I, I admire Lou DiBella, but let's not call Lou DiBella the capsule venturist that he is. Uh, a month ago, Oshaki Fox was in a lawsuit with this man. Now that this belt may become open for him, uh, all of a sudden they're all chummy again. That's hilarious. Yeah. But- right. <laughs> Welcome to Strange Bedfellows, boxing, politics, and whoever's your enemy yesterday may be your ally tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so we'll see what happens. Again, you may know the answer if you're listening on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Is the Oscar Valdez fight still on or not? Is the WBC stepping in or not? They stripped David Benavides for a second time back last fall for being overweight and took the title from him and did the scenario exactly like Carlos was saying. If the opponent had won, the opponent would have been the champ. Let's see what they do for a week from Friday night. Before we let Carlos a scram here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Matchroom boxing show, rematch headlining it, featherweight bout Mauricio Lara, the Mexican who upset Josh Warrington, the former WBA featherweight champion. Uh, Warrington vacated the belt and then lost to Lara. This is the rematch. Leeds, England, outdoor soccer stadium, a couple of hours to the northwest of London is where they will have this. As Marquise mentioned, Katie Taylor on the undercard. Connor Benz rescheduled fight, the unbeaten welterweight, the son of the of the legend Nigel Ben. He's on the undercard as well. Carlos, give me a couple of quick thoughts because Marquise and I are going to talk much more about this after we pause here a little later on in the podcast with some fight odds, et cetera. Carlos, how, uh, how interested are you here? 
I gotta admit, this is actually a pretty good card. I like the Connor Ben Adrian Granados fight. I like it, especially, you know, it's not the co main event, but it's one of the supporting acts of this card. I am interested in seeing where Connor Ben continues his progression. I loved how he looked in his last time out with that first round demolition that he had. I like to see more of that, not, you know, that kind of aggression and just taking that next step in, in, a, in quick fashion. Katie Taylor versus Jennifer. That's going to be a good one, even if I think Katie Taylor is going to win in impressive fashion. But even still, one-sided beatdowns from Katie Taylor in the past, she's made them entertained. So that's still going to be something fun to watch. The main event, Josh Warrington versus uh, Maurice Dallara is very interesting. For Josh Warrington, there is, you know, I think that I can see a path to victory for him, but it's not going to be easy. Lara is a devastating body puncher, and it's a guy that is willing to take a punch in order to throw two. And he's been able to, and he was able to work the body very, very well in that first fight. And for Warrington, he doesn't have the power to match Mauricio Lara. He does not. And in some regard, doesn't have the pace to keep up with Mauricio Lara. The way I can see Warrington win is that he's going to have to step it up with the jab and move forward the entire fight. Because one thing that Lara kind of lacked in that first fight was knowing how to fight moving backwards. He didn't really have that. Every time Warrington just kind of stepped up and forced Mauricio Lara to sort of step back, it became a difficult fight for Lara. So Warrington can still fight, but the question is, can he hold that for 10, 12 rounds? Uh, and that's going to be a hard test for Warrington. For Lara, if he keeps up that body shot, I think the power is going to eventually break down Warrington if he's not able to execute his game plan. There was some belief, and I need a quick answer here. There was some belief that Warrington had so much trouble making the weight last time that it sapped him. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, the proof will be in the pudding in the rematch here on whether that's the case. How much of a factor do you think that is, and that will be Saturday night, that Warrington uh, won't have stamina and will take another beating because he's having trouble making 126? If he had trouble making weight the first time, he's going to have to have changed a lot in his preparation, his training camp. If he didn't, then it's going to be a similar issue because you, if you're having trouble making weight and you still want to keep fighting at that weight, you're going to have to make a couple of big adjustments. We saw that when Gervonta Davis, he struggled a lot when making 130. And then all of a sudden when he fought Leo Santa Cruz, he looked fine. He even came under 130 pounds and he looked great because he made – Big changes in, into his preparation, a longer training camp. He wasn't in, in Vegas for a lot longer. Those are the type of changes that a guy like Josh Morrison would have to make if he is certainly struggling to make weight. All right, we'll see if that's the case. Marquise, we always love having Carlos Toro on with us one more time here before he gets out of here, right? Absolutely. It's always we have Carlos on here talking about all things boxing. More importantly, shaking us down on this, uh, just, this, this Jake Paul shenanigans because uh, we weren't going, but he was there. <laughs> he was there. He had the insight. Carlos, plug away on how we find you social media, on the internet, etc., and your good work. Go ahead and fire away. You can find me on Twitter at Carlos Toro Media, and you can read some of my work at, at Fight Game Media. We also have there where I do a podcast with well, I consider a great boxing historian, a very passionate fan, Robert Silva. We do a podcast every week on the on the Patreon. I'll sometimes I do some pro, some boxing work for Fightful, especially with their magazine. You can check that out. I believe that there's going to be a a new issue very very soon where I also actually write about YouTubers and people and this type of new subgenre of boxing that we're experiencing. All right, again, Carlos Toro Media on social media where you can find all the links to all of his stuff. We love his insight. He survived. I don't know how long he had to sanitize after being at Paul versus Woodley <laughs> in Cleveland last Sunday night, but he cleans up very well here on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Carlos, continued success. Thank you for giving us some time and some insight. We appreciate it, sir. Always happy to be here. Thanks, TJ, and thanks, Marquis, for having me. We've got more, including some fight picks and the odds on that matchroom show in England still to come as we rock along here on this edition of the show. But first, we're brought to you by our friends at WinBet. Are you ready to win money and boost your odds? Well, WinBet is now live in Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, 
and Virginia, and we're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. You've got exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on all the favorite teams, the players, the sports. We've got the NFL starting up soon. Uh, Major League Baseball is ongoing. You've got the golf. You've got the MMA. Uh, Pretty soon, the NBA will be back. The NHL will be back. College football and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. We have what you need with WinBet. If you're ready to play, sign up today. Get a special offer. Get a risk-free $500 bet from us at the Sports Gambling Podcast Network by just downloading and using our promo code SGPN. Download the WinBet app. Visit wynnbet.com. That's wynnbet.com to find out more right now. If you're ready to play, if you're ready to win, they're the premier sports betting experience. Download, bet, and win with WinBet. And we're brought to you in part by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. And the football season is ready to kick off, and PropSwap is here to make this your best season ever. Because with PropSwap, your bet doesn't have to win in order to make money. It just needs to improve. For example, Trey Lance of the 49ers opened up at 300-1 to to win the MVP this year, and he has already been bet down to 75 to 1 after that preseason performance just last weekend. That means if you bet 100 bucks on Trey Lance back in May, you could sell that ticket on PropSwap right now for $400, a 300% return before the season ever begins. Think of PropSwap like the stock market, but for sports betting. Buy low, sell high. The average seller on PropSwap makes over $500 a month just by listing and selling tickets. And when making your bets, remember, go for two. Make two tickets on the same team. You can sell one for a profit and leave one for yourself for skin in the game. Again, your bet doesn't necessarily have to win. It just has to improve. Think of it like the stock market. Get started today at PropSwap.com. Download the PropSwap app. PropSwap is where America buys and sells sports bets. And we're brought to you in part by Odds Crowd. If you haven't already downloaded Odds Crowd's app, you're missing out. The free roll fantasy contest is taking place on Odds Crowd this year. Ten grand for the best NFL better and sides are included this year. Also, a weekly $100 SGPN exclusive contest just for people that have the SGPN app downloaded. There's over $30,000 in cash prizes up for grabs across both the season-long and weekly contests for the NFL and college football, and the boys here at SGPN are all taking part, so you can try to claim bragging rights over us as well. Here's how it works. Once you get in the contest, you track your bets against the real odds and the lines, much like you do with any pick-tricking app. The most profitable players will rise up on the leaderboard, and if you have the highest profit at the end of the contest, then you win. And Odds Crowd isn't just fantasy betting contests. It's a social app for sports bettors. It's free to download. You can live group chat with other bettors, track your bets, set up private fantasy contests with your buddies, and much more. So download the app for free or go to oddscrowd.com today. And we're brought to you in part by PicksWise, the number one home of free sports betting picks, props, and parlays, helmed by a team of trend-watching, data-devouring sports fanatics, giving you the who, the how, and the why behind every prediction. For every game, every day, and every sport, all for free, visit PicksWise.com to make your next bet better. PicksWise backs responsible gambling. If you or someone you know wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. But you've got the opportunity here with PicksWise to get their favorite daily fantasy app. It's fast, it's fun, it's easy, and it all starts with prize picks. You pick two of the five players that day, decide if they'll go under or over their stat projection, and then you find out if you win. The more players you pick, the more that you can win. You can win up to 10 times your money with the prize picks, and that's the way to play. Use the promo code SGP. You'll get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Again, SGP is the promo code with PicksWise for a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. It's PicksWise promo code SGP. 
And a reminder, the SGPN app is right there live now in the App Store and the Google Play Store. This app gives you easy access to all of our picks, all of our podcasts, everything in the content from the SGPN family of shows and everything that's going on on the app. Don't forget, give us an app review. Download the SGPN app today in the App Store and the Google Play Store. Look for us. It's the SGPN app. Yes, we are back here once more as we head to the weekend. Happy Labor Day, everybody. Be safe. Haven't mentioned it yet on this podcast, but again, we are still thinking about uh, those in Louisiana in specific that have been devastated by Hurricane Ida. I know in the Northeast, Marquise, they got a real taste with flooding of what Tropical Storm slash Tropical Depression Ida did to them uh, on uh, Wednesday night into Thursday. We're back uh, again, on there are wildfires in the west. Now, You're now out west in Denver. Host, uh, having, having left Reeves. the Tampa Bay area, there are wildfires out west. Everybody just be safe. I know there's a lot going on outside of the world of sports that we obviously are aware of. We try to uh, bring the welcome distraction, the fun and games of sports, and the spoofs and the goofs of boxing to keep us all uh, entertained. More on the matchroom fight card, fight picks, and odds coming up straight ahead. Marquise will also have a tip or two on what other fights might be worthwhile. One news item now that we said goodbye to Carlos Toro that we didn't cover with him is the purse bid was supposed to have happened for WBO world champion at 147, Terrence Crawford, the unbeaten, uh, arguably one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in all of boxing, was supposed to have a purse bid for the Sean Porter proposed fight. Porter, the former WBC uh, world welterweight champion. All right, that purse bid already delayed once is now delayed again. And the WBO saying that the sides are apparently close enough on a negotiation that they may be able to get a deal done. So they gave another extension. Marquise, your read, your opinion on this as we bring you back in. Are we closer to getting Crawford and Porter or does this delay signal the opposite signal something else? What do you think? You know what, TJ? I, I was on the fence for the longest thing that this fight's not going to happen. But I've been listening to Sean Porter. He was with the TC. He told uh, that his own, even told his boys on the Porterway podcast this past week that this fight's being done. So if he's saying it's being done, I'm, I'm actually in the camp saying that this fight surprisingly is being done. I'm, it's, it's surprising to me that it is being done, but it is being done nonetheless. I'm actually looking forward to this fight now. Actually, now I know it's going to be official at some point. Now that they, they delayed this whole purse bid shenanigans. That is, unless Crawford and and Top Rank are still at odds at war, really don't like each other. And Crawford has no intention, even if this fight is is ordered, of following through and he'll just vacate the WBO belt. I repeat again what I asked you last week. What is the possibility, if not the likelihood, that, that Crawford doesn't want the fight and just gives up the WBO belt, even if there is a mandate by the WBO here? That's the interesting part about all this, TJ. I'm, I'm going to give it a solid 50-50 on this one because I know Sean at this point is all but locked in for this fight. So I'm, he's he's in for this. It's now because Crawford's been pretty silent on, on a lot of this. And that was my biggest fear, TJ, if this thing was going to go to a purse bid. Because if it went to a purse bid, Crawford being the long-running champion was probably going to get the short end of the stick in terms of this whole money thing. And money makes the world go round. And I would have thought he would have dropped the belt like most people do at that at that point anyway. But... One way or another, I think we're getting this fight with Crawford Porter, and that's probably just the 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 bizarre end to Terrence Crawford's uh, reign hanging over at top rank. And let's be honest, we've talked about this before, just real quick, and then we'll move on. Yeah. He hasn't had a quality opponent in like his last two or three fights, and they've been trying to do him on pay per view. Amir Khan, this Kel Brook, Oof. that. None of, I mean, who is if he's not fighting Sean Porter, who is he fighting next? So why would you not take this fight, which would be a lucrative fight, it looks like, and a very winnable fight, you would think, for Terrence Crawford? What I mean, who does he fight if he doesn't take Porter? What do you say to that? Ter- TJ, there isn't anybody really he can fight because he already says, came out and said he doesn't want to fight Virgil Ortiz, who was the, originally the mandatory challenger for this fight to begin with at a reason before they switched numbers around. The guy the guy that's ranked uh, third out of all this and third and fourth, uh, my boy, Michael McKinson, as I, I said all the time, TJ, 21-0, mm-hmm. two KOs. So the, 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 now, I'm not saying that it looks bleak for Crawford in terms of mandatory opponents, but Kovalaskis was probably the best opponent he's had during this entire reign so far. <laughs> Yeah, not much. Not much for him at welterweight. And again, he was undisputed at 140 at one point 
moving up about three years ago now to 147. Let's see how that plays out because the WBO says a deal is apparently imminent for top rank and TGB promotions or premier boxing champions, whatever you prefer to mm. work it out. Is the fight going to be a joint pay-per-view? Probably not. Is it only going to be on ESPN? Possibly. What are the concessions on that? I don't know. Anyway, we'll wait for that. Um, other news, just real quick, this breaking uh, on Thursday that Evander Holyfield is unhappy with Triller and their Fight Club app. CEO Ryan Cavanaugh, he has filed for arbitration because he believes he is owed millions of dollars that haven't been paid. Uh, that's because his exhibition fight with Kevin McBride never came off this summer, doesn't have a rescheduled debate and a, a, a date. And apparently Holyfield and his camp believe that Triller's trying not to have the fight at all, not to honor the contract. Okay, Marquise, uh, you've actually written about this in the past that Holyfield maybe had the chance to fight Mike Tyson, but completely astronomically outbid himself right out of having that fight by wanting like $20, 25000000 million to fight yeah. Tyson, and it didn't happen. Now Holyfield can't even get a quarter of that, a fifth of that, can't even get a fight off as a, as a 58-year-old trying to fight an exhibition. Uh, all right, your read on this whole situation here. Does this mean that Evander Holyfield is just going to have to go somewhere else if he wants to try to fight uh, on an exhibition somewhere? Uh, unfortunately, TJ, he's going to have to go through the, uh, the the bizarre exhibition circuit if he wants to get to get this fight going through Triller because, let, let's be honest, TJ, the one thing about Triller, and, and, and to Holyfield's credit uh, about this lawsuit with Triller, how, how, how Triller doesn't want this fight with him and Kevin McBride, he's right. They don't want this fight with Kevin McBride. They can barely get this fight with Tiafimo Lopez and George Cambosa started, let alone anything else that Triller has put their stamp on recently. So I'm, I'm not looking, I'm no one, TJ, let's be honest. No one's looking forward to seeing any of that. The, the, the cash shape with, with Holyfield would have been Holyfield Tyson. He, he priced himself out. Tyson doesn't want anything to do with Triller anymore. So now pretty much Evander Holyfield, not only is the odd man out, he is out. And, and at this point, I don't really think Triller is going to be doing any more crazy exhibitions on, on that sort of scale. And not for the price of uh, what Holyfield was looking for. And, and I think it was $25 million he wanted to fight Tyson, by the way. So it was well, like, And you luck. were saying that. But, I mean, if he wants 4 or $5 million here and says he's owed that money, it's worth it for him at the moment to pursue it. Again, to back up a step, Lopez was supposed to have defended in Miami back in June. It all got... Uh, scuttled and delayed, and then a COVID-19 diagnosis, a positive test, and symptoms for Lopez nicks the fight. Holyfield is fighting. He's based out of South Florida, out of a gym in South Florida. He was going to be part of the card in Miami. That's the draw. But now, I mean, what, what does the contract say? And was he supposed to be given money? And is he supposed to have a certain time frame where the fight was supposed to be rescheduled on the contingencies? Um, I kind of go back. I'm just thinking of one thing because we're about to talk Eddie Hearn, matchroom boxing, this Warrington card with Mauricio Lara and the rematch. This is kind of what Eddie Hearn did last year during the pandemic with his fighters, his matchroom cards, his delayed fights, which is I'll just claim that there's a there's an act of God, the force majeure clause here, and I'll I'll decide whenever I feel like it that we can make it work. And you're beholden now. We were talking about Amanda Serrano yeah. in the last segment. Remember, Amanda Serrano was supposed to have fought. Was, was she supposed Taylor. to have fought Katie Taylor? Yes, at that, that, point? Was all, that was all set up. And so it was all set up. But then the COVID-19 pandemic hits and Eddie Hearn kept stringing along indefinitely. We can't hold the fight, mate. We can't hold the fight, mate. We can't hold the fights. <laughs> and so... What Lou DeBella and Serrano eventually said was, you can't just perpetually say, we have the rights to you fighting Katie Taylor without scheduling the fight and having the fight. And so eventually Serrano was able to go fight someone else. Uh, I, I guess they, they just let it uh, be gone because yeah. it went on for three, four, five months of him perpetually leaving and hanging out there. This is kind of the same thing 2.0 that Triller is doing a year later where they're saying to Holyfield, we wanted you part of the Lopez card. The Lopez card didn't happen, and now we're just going to use pandemic, whatever excuse, to string this along and make you give up and go away. But Evander is doing the whole Judge Wapner people's court. Don't take the law into your own hands. Do what, Marquise? You take him to court. Take him to court. He's going to take him to court <laughs> cool. here and try to get his money. And good luck with that, by the way. 
and and by the way, uh, we're still a month out from Lopez Cambosis. Do you still have trepidation that that won't happen at all? And that Triller's still trying to get out of paying uh, more than $6 million for just an average title defense here for Lopez against Cambosis, the Australian? TJ, uh, the, this Triller Cambo, this, 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 Thriller card between Lopez and Cambosis is a financial disaster written all over it. And the one thing I think Triller is banking on at this point now it is being held at the Hulu Theater in New York next month is that uh, New York has these bizarre uh, COVID restrictions and, and they're going to ramp up a lot more of those starting next, I think actually starting this month, actually in September. And I think... Don't thriller it because they, they they already put the request in to have you know these these fighters already vaccinated. <laughs> Golf Lopez. So and it, once that all takes place, uh, we'll see if we'll we'll see how many hoops they get these guys to jump through to make this fight actually happen. TJ, I'm actually intrigued to see if it really does go off. It is I, I'm, I, I am convinced that they're not going at all. Whatsoever. All right. Well, let's see. And Teofilo Lopez has now basically been inactive inactive for a year. Uh, yeah. While we wait for all this to unfold, we do know it's unfolding. It is the Matchroom Boxing Show, and really three intriguing fights. I think that's fair to say. We've already touched on all of them. Let's get into the odds a little bit. Uh, Connor Ben, again, his fight was delayed. Uh, COVID 19 positive status for him. The veteran Adrian Granados has hung in there. This fight was supposed to be back in July. So now we've waited about six weeks for Ben, the unbeaten 147 pounder out of the UK. Uh, destroyed Sammy Vargas in his last bout in less than one round. Stepping stone fight for Ben. What do you make of this? He's at last check minus 1,600 here. And and probably I got to look for the under over on the rounds here uh, for Adrian Granados, a veteran in this one. Uh, what say you, Marquise, about that fight? Yeah, TJ, honestly, the only play on that is uh, the the prop and i want to say the over under on the fight rounds is going to be six and a half i want it if, if, if there's a prop on that tj i want to go tell everybody to take the over on it because i think granada's is cagey enough and and a veteran enough to survive seven rounds he survived seven rounds with a lot more people the last to stop with danny garcia that was a long time ago guys so and danny garcia is not connor ben so um, i have a feeling that this actually may be at least in terms of Granados, I don't think Granados wins this uh, contest, TJ, because it's it's because he has too much of gun going against him. But the one thing I do think he has going for him is at least the rounds where I think he'll 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 easily pass seven rounds in this fight. Oh, so you're taking the over if the under over somewhere around four, five, six rounds. Take the over on that. Yeah. Uh, again, you're looking for a big spectacular night from Connor Ben, and again, this is an outdoor soccer stadium. I saw some stuff on social media before we began to tape the podcast. It looks like with the stadium seating and the floor seating, they're easily going to have twenty thousand, maybe more, uh, raucous environment, and to see Josh Warrington in the main event. Katie Taylor is overwhelmingly favored yes. against Jennifer Hahn. Jennifer Hahn, who you wrote about on the website, mm -hmm. uh, a plus nine hundred underdog. Uh, Katie Taylor minus 2,500. She is the undisputed champion uh, in her division, former Olympic gold medalist, very popular Irish fighter in the UK. Uh, Han, 38 years old, had a child a year ago, has two yes. children. Are we concerned for her safety somewhat in this fight with Katie Taylor here? I'm a little bit concerned, TJ, with uh, Katie, Jennifer Han, actually, only because of just the condition that she's going coming into this fight where she's trained for it. I spoke to her uh, for a big fight weekend, pretty much talking about the fight where she was mentioning how she thought Taylor's team was taking advantage of her situation. Her situation being, TJ, the, the dreaded IBF mandatory challenger which is what we're having to deal with with this fight. And, and the one thing that does play for Han's favor, which may surprise some people the first few rounds going in, is uh, Katie Taylor in her fights usually fights down to her competition. And we'll, we'll see that probably in the early going. Probably about the round uh, three or four is when I think Katie Taylor will, will show that she's the the undisputed lightweight champion and 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 uh, which should be levels above Han at this point, who actually has to, had to come up and wait to fight Taylor because, as we all know, women's boxing teacher, there's only so many women to challenge for these fights. So she, she Han has three things going against her. She's American, she's fighting in Katie's home turf, and it's pretty much Hearn's backyard. So if it goes to the cards, and, we, and we've seen it with Kaylee Taylor fights, it doesn't go well for the opposition or the B-side on these things. And again, give her credit, but again, I'm slightly concerned as well. It's 38 years of age and safety and all of that, and uh, has had two children. Again, women are tougher than us. They have they give childbirth. She's done it twice, and she's not going to get in a boxing <laughs> ring. So 
Let's see what happens uh, on that one as Katie Taylor's the overwhelming favorite. Main event, uh, Josh Warrington, Mauricio Lara. Um, this one, 12 rounds uh, here coming uh, for a lesser uh, title over in the, in, the, uh, in the British ranking system. Uh, what do you make of this as we take a look at the, uh, at the odds? Again, Laura won the first fight. Yeah. In the rematch here, Laura still the underdog, only plus 100, though. Warrington minus 130 as the favorite. Laura really beat him down. I made the point to Carlos Toro, maybe the weight, the weight cut and the weight loss for Warrington sapped him. Uh, Marquise, assess the rematch here in the main event for Matchroom. Been following this match for Media Week all week, TJ, and I can tell you, Warrington kind of looks the same as he did uh, leading up to the last fight, which honestly doesn't bode well for him personally. I don't think I don't think we get anything different in this fight, TJ. I think Laura stops him again. Where it's it's one of those things where I don't think Warrington can handle his power, and it's one of those things with with Warrington's style where it's it styles make fights, and this one just isn't good for him. This this it, it, it reminds me so much of when we saw uh, uh, Zucam take on Lee Wood, where Zucam was this guy who was supposed to you know throw like four hundred punches around and could only get like six and couldn't <laughs> do anything. It's, it's going to be more the same with this with Warrington, where Warrington has to make the fight ugly, as Carlos actually mentioned, where he has to, you know make him fight off his back foot, you know all. All the fun, weird UK uh, nuances in boxing that people have uh, tend to think is kind of boring. That's how Warrington wins these fights. Uh, unfortunately, War Laura do doesn't follow the rules. So I, I think we get more to say. <laughs> All right. So that is the matchroom main event, a rematch off of a Laura upset win, the chance to avenge it for Josh Warrington, get back in the world featherweight title picture. If you can, if not, Mauricio Laura is definitely uh, in that title picture, if that's the case. We will be out of here in a moment. I know there is a PBC on Fox prospect show. That one coming Sunday night of Labor Day weekend from the Armory in Minneapolis. Jesus Ramos uh, and Brian Mendoza, junior uh, middleweights. Anything on that card uh, standing out to you that will be obviously on network TV Sunday night? Uh, the only thing on this card, TJ, that of any actual interest is to see how much progression Jesus Rommel makes as the guy in the main event. That's the, that's the third 19-year-old prospect kid. Pretty much, TJ, Fox has been put PBC and Fox up, and, and what, what PBC has been doing with their Fox coverage is pretty much been putting these kids on these shows for the most part, which sounds great in theory because it builds these kids up. But if, if, if you believe all the speculation in the scuttlebutt, TJ, if, if Fox is, 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 is supposedly in the market of canceling PBC boxing, what better way to cancel the show than like you do like other sitcoms where you put the kids on, you know, the, that, the, the extra kid, the adopted kid, you know, Mikey, you know, his uh, friends, you know. I go the all the way back to uh, Oliver on the Brady Bunch. Can I go all yes. the way back to Oliver being added to the Brady Bunch? We can do with that. You bring yeah. Oliver, you, you bring Ra Ra Raven Simone on the Cosby show, you know, you bring the kids in, it's over. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's, how, that's how this works. <laughs> okay, so that show is Sunday night. Again, we will have better... Uh, fights coming in September, including Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah. Next week, we don't know about the Valdez fight. You may know that answer as we tape this on Thursday night. Is the Valdez fight going to stay on? Is the WBC going to strip him? What's going to happen here? He's the main event. And there is no, one more time, there is no question, doubt, or debate. This is a banned substance. It is a stimulant. And the WBC really, uh, at this point, to have any credibility left, should do what they have done to others that have failed pre-fight drug tests, strip him, strip him of the title, and then we'll see what happens um, if they, in fact, do that. And they've got some time before next Friday night to do that. So, again, the Valdez yeah. fight is next Friday night. Oscar De La Hoya fighting a former UFC light heavyweight champion. Vitor Belfort is his name. That one in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. That one next Saturday night. For next yes. weekend, still to come later in the month, Anthony Joshua, Alexander Usyk, a unified heavyweight title fight in September. Uh, so we, we've we got Stefan Fulton and Brandon, Brandon Figueroa. Figueroa. Yeah. Uh, what, World Bantamweight Championship mm -hmm. unification fight still to come in September. So some better fights coming, but the Matchroom yeah. Show on Saturday, Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, Saturday night, primetime, U.K. time. With all the college football going on here in the United States with the Crank It Up, we'll have some eyeballs on the Big Fight Weekend podcast and the website on those fights. That leads us to the final segue, Marquise Promote Away on everything on the site, how they find you, how they keep track of everything on this first weekend in September. Absolutely, DJ. BigFightWeekend.com, your source for all things boxing news, past, present, and future. We'll be keeping an eye on this UK card uh, this weekend while the rest of the country watches Michigan try to struggle against Western Michigan. I'm, <laughs> so I'll keep it on there this UK card. There might be a few more people watching Alabama and Miami, Clemson and Georgia, UCLA and LSU <laughs> than watching Jim Harbaugh 
uh, make like Tyron Woodley. How, how is he trying to hit Jake Paul? But continue on. Yes. Yeah. There's other things to watch in college football besides Jim Harbaugh still money from Michigan. But the one thing I wonder with, with, with that is that this UK card I'm looking forward to seeing is just the atmosphere of it because pretty much it's a it's a it's a hometown crowd for in Leeds for England. Uh, Katie Taylor's the hometown girl there. Josh Warrington hometown. So it's, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be electric. It's going to remind me a lot, TJ, of this Jake Paul. And it's really the first time post pandemic that we're going to see a humongous crowd allegedly yes. kind of like this. So it will be interesting to hear to hear the roars and and have that back in the UK. We've had some of it in the United States. They've not had it in the UK. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun saying that because that's that's gonna pick up a lot of things for for, for these things these fights from the UK later on down the line, uh, especially when they they have, they put Joshua uh, Usyk in the in the football stadium, which is gonna be interesting. And also next month when they have a uh, Dillian White facing more than likely Jermaine Franklin at the O2, you know the old stomping grounds there as well. So no, it's gonna be fun seeing how how, how uh, everyone in the crowd in the UK responds to this fight card. Hopefully it'd be interesting on the, on the back end and, and more than likely. Uh, it, their, their fighters should re- uh, be victorious on these cards. <laughs> All right. We'll find out what happens there. Marquise, great stuff. Thank you, my friend. We'll be reading you on the website. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Thanks so much, AJ. You do the same. Thank you to Carlos Toro, Carlos Toro Media, also our guest here on the podcast. Again, subscribe on all the podcasting platforms. Thanks to the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows, sportsgamblingpodcast.com. And uh, Ryan Kramer, Sean Green, everybody with the Sports Gambling Podcast helping promote us. However you found the show, subscribe. It comes automatically to you. Much more on the way in September. Read the site, bigfightweekend.com. Follow us at Big Fight Weekend on Twitter, Big Fight Weekend on Facebook to stay engaged with us as well. For now, I'm TJ Reeves from Marquise Johns. We're done. Enjoy the fights. We'll talk to you next week on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Bye.